I want to read from Matthew 19. Whenever David contacted me some months ago, he explained that you're working through some characters from the Bible, and the one allocated to me was the rich young ruler. I think I had some say in the matter, but nevertheless, it was, it was the one that we agreed I would look at. On the 18th of this month, or later on anyway, 22nd maybe, but... Uh, my good friend Nigel Young switched with me so that I could have a holiday later on this month. So thank you, Nigel. Reading then from Matthew 19, verse 16. Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, Keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect. Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked then, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with human beings this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I'm going to leave that other hymn out if you don't mind wonderful hymn though it is I'm keeping an eye also on the time Matthew Mark and Luke all record the dramatic and really rather sad story of the encounter between Jesus and this rich young man of influence in Jewish society they all, they all refer to his great wealth. All of them do. All of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew tells us that he was young. And Luke says that he was a member of the ruling class. And hence the, the, the familiar uh, title that's given to him, the rich young ruler. And when we draw on all three gospel records, we, we, we discover that this young man was morally upright. He was an admirable young man. He, he was of impeccable reputation. He was eager. He was really keen to, to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark tells us that he, he ran up to him. There was some sense of urgency in his approach. And he... he displayed admirable deference and respect and reverence. He knelt before Jesus. 
As I say, you can read all three accounts and, and build up the, the, the total picture. Altogether, this is a fine young man with excellent qualities, and his sincerity is not questioned either by Jesus or by the, those who have recorded the incident. The gospel records indicate that this man was highly regarded. And the young man asked a tremendous question, a great question. One of the accounts tells us that Jesus was just about to leave when the young man arrived, and he gets straight to the point. Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? There's no humbug. There's no sham. There's no hypocrisy here. The young man must know that he does not have this kernel, this important feature. He doesn't have it in spite of his integrity and in spite of his good works. He doesn't have it. He feels an urgent need for the the security of knowing that he is eternally safe. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? It is of supreme importance to, to, to know exactly where we stand on this issue. It is sheer folly to fudge this one. Sheer folly. Don't be vague about it. To be reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ should be something about which we have no doubts whatsoever. That's the biblical vision. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. I'm persuaded. This is not something about which we should be vague. It should be clear to us and it should be evident to those who are closest to us that we have the root of the matter in us. And I say, if you have the slightest doubt in your mind on this issue, I beg you not to let it rest. I beg you to to take action. Keep asking the question. Go to those whom you respect and feel would know and, and seek to have it resolved. What must I do to get right with God to have eternal life is a great question. And and I reckon that most of us here this morning, and I don't know you all personally, but many of you I do know, most of you here this morning have resolved this issue, but I don't want to take your position for granted. As a, a young man, I often sat under faithful gospel preaching. I was privileged to be brought up in a home where mum and dad knew the Lord Jesus personally and went to Sunday school. But I often sat under faithful gospel preaching and assumed I was all right. Somehow, the, 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 the devil had sown this deception in my mind and I never until I was 18 years of age made a personal resolve to follow Jesus and trust him and put the matter right but I sat often convinced, oh I'm okay. If we want to win others for Jesus, incidentally, we should study his methods because, you know, he, he always meets people just where they are. It, it's, it's fascinating. You know, the woman at Sychar's Wells, I, I, I just put these up here to remind us of some of the instances where we can study the method, the evangelistic methods of the Lord Jesus Christ. The woman at Sychar's Well, 
his conversation with the Jewish leader Nicodemus, the Roman procurator Pilate, the way in which he interacted with Pilate on the issue of truth and, and his kingship, uh, and the scribes and the Pharisees, we find that, that Jesus always addresses these people in terms that takes full account of where they are and the extent to which they have understood spiritual issues and the claim that God has on their lives. And and I'm, I'm sure that every Christian in the church this morning, everyone who truly knows Jesus, there are people with whom you're interacting, people that God is looking to influence through you, and it's so important that we, we really grasp where they are, not make any assumptions, really endeavor to listen to them and ask God the Holy Spirit to help us to understand exactly where they are. There are so many different positions. There are those who say, I don't believe there is a God. I just rattled through these in preparation. There are a variety of ways they could be expressed. But there are some, and, and we've got to start there. No point in in speaking to such a person about the Lord Jesus and the need for salvation. If they don't even believe there's a God, we need to start where they are. Others may say, okay, maybe there is a supreme being. Okay, that's a new starting point. Some may say, perhaps there is something in the Bible's account of things. As they move in their understanding and as you pray and seek to witness to them. Some may then say, well, you tell me I will have to answer before him. They're really moving now along this process that ultimately we're hoping and praying would lead to salvation. He loves me. Oh, I'd like to believe that. That's a long way from even believing that there is a God, a supreme being, to the point where people begin to listen to the truths of Scripture that such a God loves them. I can get to know him. I mean, many people believe there's a God in heaven, but he's not knowable. And I just mentioned these, I don't want to dwell on it. Jesus, tell me about Jesus. And then perhaps that wonderful position that in prayer and witness, bringing them perhaps under the sound of the gospel or giving good literature to read, they say, I'm ready to commit myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here in our story is a young man fairly well down the track. He's a fair bit down this. His understanding of the things of God is quite advanced. He's, he's clearly a Jewish scholar, at least a faithful follower of the Jewish faith. He understands the things of God. He's under no illusion that so many others are under. He, he thinks he can earn God's favor somehow, though. So there, there's some confusion here. He, he thinks that somehow, somehow eternal life can be gained by his own efforts. And that's the position of so many people. We find them there. Let's not be too dismissive of him because we often slip into this mindset. You may say, how? Well, just a simple illustration. Let's imagine a day when you have really messed up. When you have let the Lord down and you know it. Something careless that you've said. Something sinful that you've done. And the Bible says if we say we've no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But let's say this is a day when you've really messed up. And somehow in our mind we feel, oh, I, 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 I really can't pray tonight. Not with the things that are on my heart and mind, the shame that I feel. 
And then there's another day and you've really praised the Lord and you've faithfully witnessed to him and you've resisted the temptation of the evil one. And that night you say, oh really, I I can come before God. See, we're falling into a trap of thinking that somehow our standing before God is based upon our performance, not upon Jesus. We can fall into the mindset of this young man and, and, and think that our confidence in coming before God is based on something other than the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and our dependence on him. It's so easy. This young fellow in our story seemed to be fairly pleased with his religious performance, and so can we be. So easily. He knew that it wasn't enough, but, but it just needed topping up somehow. Just a little more to clinch it. What else must I do? That's the sort of, the gist of his approach to the Lord Jesus. In spite of the fact the gospel has been preached in this land for centuries and faithfully preached, there are many who recognize that there is a God in heaven to whom they must answer, but who are equally convinced that they can get through on their own. How does Jesus deal with that mindset? Well, he says, fair enough. This is the gist of his response. Fair enough, young sir. Let's talk about inheriting eternal life on your own. Let's look at the great features of God's law, the commandments. If you want to do it on your own, all you have to do is keep them in their entirety. And the young man's brightening up at this. Do you know, the, the surprising thing is that this young man seemed to like the direction that the conversation was now going. Jesus now gets into his mindset. You know, don't murder, and you can almost see him taking the boxes. Don't commit adultery, and I've never done that. Don't steal. Don't lie. No, I've been a young man of integrity. Honor your father and your mother. Oh, I've always been faithful on that score. Can you picture him? He's taking them off one by murder. Murder, but one by one. Murder, don't be crazy. I've, I've, I've never, it's never even entered my head. And he goes through these. Loving my neighbor, well, maybe sort of. Maybe a bit of hesitation there. But, honestly, Lord, I've done all this since I was a boy. Of course, his self-appraisal is flawed. Of course it is. We know that. He was deceiving himself. He thought he was okay, and he wasn't. But Mark tells us that at this stage, the Lord Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's what Mark says. There was something about him that the heart of the Lord Jesus responded to. The sincerity of this young man. He, he seemed to think, you know, I'm just missing the bull's eye. I'm in the inner, but I haven't hit. What do I still lack? That's his thinking. And Jesus did not despise his efforts. And, and we should be quicker to recognize some of the wonderful qualities of many people who don't know the Lord Jesus savingly. 
We should be quick to recognize that. It's, it's not always appropriate to throw out the, the, the verse, you know, that all our righteousness is as filthy rags. God honors those who endeavor to live lives of integrity. It's not enough. But Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And I say there are some lovely people who make no claim to being Christians, but they're faithful husbands, faithful wives, good fathers, good mothers, good sons, daughters, employers, employees, neighbors, defending our liberties here and abroad. These are honorable things. And you may well fall into this category this morning, an honorable person, someone to be admired. And I'm not in any way trivializing or minimizing that. The world is a better place for your presence in it. And God doesn't despise your efforts to be a good person. He notes it. He often rewards it. But don't try to trade your efforts for eternal life in that market. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. The essential currency in the market for eternal life is out of our league. Because we're talking about perfection here. And only God can foot the bill when it comes to this area of the market. So how was Jesus to get this young man to see it? There was so much about him that was admirable and lovable, but he was lost. And he was just as lost as Herod or Pilate or those who cried out, crucify him on that awful, awful Good Friday. They, they may have lacked more than he lacked. They may have missed the mark by a bigger margin. But in truth, not one of us comes anywhere near God's essential standard of perfection. We fall desperately short. And this young man, like millions of others, just couldn't see it. He just could not see it. And I wonder, would those of us engaged in Christian work, those of us who seek to witness to our friends and neighbors, would we have dared to give the advice that Jesus gave? In order to break the deadlock, would we have dared to say, with all our evangelical upbringing and our, 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 our reading of the word of God and our listening to preaching, okay, said Jesus, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell everything that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. What? What? Is this not advocating a gospel of works? And this is coming from the lips of the Lord Jesus. Why, oh why, did he not simply say, trust me, I am the way, the truth and the life. You must be born again, young man. Surely, here was an opportunity to quote and apply one of the great gospel texts. But remember, Jesus is dealing with this young man just where he is. Just where he is. He's, got, he's God incarnate. He knows the way this young man's thinking. He has gifts that I and you cannot have. He's dealing with this young man just where he is. And Jesus recognizes there are two 
principal obstacles that are standing between him and God. Two obstacles that are blocking his route to eternal life. He's worshipping an idol without knowing it, and he has a superficial concept of sin. There's nothing intrinsically wrong with being rich. Nothing intrinsically wrong. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, Lydia were all very well healed people who followed Jesus. There's no record of Jesus ever chastening them for their wealth. There's no record of them ever being told to get rid of their wealth. For this young man, it was an unacknowledged idol. An unacknowledged idol, a principal barrier to his salvation. If you've never come to saving faith, it's worth reflecting on the nature of the obstacle. And even those of us who have given our lives to the Lord Jesus and entered into a relationship with him, there continues to be things that are competing with a deeper walk with him. Things that, that, that seek to drag us away and cripple us and destroy our testimony. An unhelpful relationship. Oh, one could list so many possibilities. Selfish ambition, pursuing our own agenda. Fear of the views of others, doubt and unbelief. A habitual sin that seems to have an unbreakable Hold upon us. Dare we tread eternal life for this? Or is this worth damaging my walk with Jesus when real fulfillment is to be found the closer I am to him? The nod of his approval. The hug of him warmly saying, well done. The Bible uses extreme language. It goes into hyperbole in dealing with this. To make this point, if your eye offends you, says the word of God, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now I know it's, it's extreme language. It is uh, literature hyperbole. But this is God saying, you know, don't allow anything. And this young man, to, to get in the way, this young man in our story wanted eternal life and he wanted the approval of Almighty God, but he had set personal limits upon the whole transaction. And one of the saddest verses in the whole passage, when the young man heard what Jesus had to say, he went away sad. You see, salvation is no superficial thing. It's not merely repeating a prayer after some well-meaning counselor has advised us. Nor signing a card. They say these things may be involved. They may be part of the package. But salvation is surrender to Jesus. It's coming under new control. It's realizing there's no other way and I, I cannot stand before God in my own merit. Not everyone will have to part with riches. 
Not everyone will have to sever relationships, but if anything is more important to you or to me than getting right with God and following Jesus Christ, then it needs to be displaced. Because our God tolerates no rivals. Tolerates no rivals. This young man went away sad, the Bible tells me. He had come with such high hopes, running and kneeling and breathless before Jesus. And he could have served him. He could have shared his wealth with him. He could have used his influence for him. But he had not got to the point of despair, to the point of surrender. He went away sad and disillusioned and disappointed. And I'm sure that he felt all these subjective emotions as he went away. But there is a tragic objective truth that's hanging over this young man as he walks away from Jesus. He's lost. He's lost. Walking away from the author of life, walking away from the judge of all the earth, the only savior of mankind. And even as I read the story again this morning, can you imagine the if only in this young man's mind on the day of judgment when he sees Jesus again? Oh, if only. And as he walked away, and Jesus let him walk away. That's a mystery to me. There are so many mysteries, so many things I've got to leave, as Abraham did with God, and say, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Because Saul of Tarsus wasn't allowed to walk away. He was pursued until he broke. Jesus pursues some and lets others walk away. He walked away. He walked away. And as he did so, Jesus said to his disciples, It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this, this, they they were in some degree of intellectual despair at this. Who, Who then can be saved? And the truth is that humanly speaking, nobody. Nobody, nobody on their, in their own efforts, in their own strength, on the basis of their own performance, can be saved. If it was not for the intervention of Almighty God in Christ, we have no grounds for any hope. That's the, the, the wonderful significance of this table at your services each Sunday. We're saying, this is my only hope. On Christ alone I stand. No other basis. With man, said Jesus, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Salvation becomes a possibility, becomes a fact when we realize that we're powerless to save ourselves. When we lose the, the joy of our salvation and the edge goes off it, that's what we need to get back to. Oh, this is what I'm depending on. When Satan tempts me to despair and points at all the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. When we get a vision of the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ in his sinless perfection nailed to a cross will not be inclined. When that vision is before us, 
will not be inclined to say, ah, but here's my contribution. Here's the effort of, of, of my life. We'll not then say, what must I do? We'll just fall and recognize our dependence on him. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, then I urge you to get to that point where you realize, yes, I, I, I want to endeavor to live a life that's God-honoring. But it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. And I need to get back to Calvary, to the place that's bespoken here, and to recognize my need on him. If you know him, rejoice in it this morning. And if you don't, I beg you, don't walk away disillusioned and sad, but resolve the matter. Will you bow with me as we close and then sing a little modern item of worship that acknowledges our real need for Jesus, all for Jesus. Father, take away from our minds anything that has just been the ramblings of Haddon Wilson, but reinforce those truths that are, con that are commensurate with your word and that are pleasing to you. If we know and love you, Lord, may we grow to love you more and serve you better. If there are those who don't know you, oh God, meet them just where they are and draw them inexorably to Calvary. In Jesus' name, amen.